Welcome to this podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. It publishes original research and topical reviews on basic and clinical aspects of gastrointestinal sensation and motility, as well as brain-gut interactions. So welcome everybody to this month's podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. My name is Adam Farm and I'm a gastroenterologist at the Wingate Institute in London. This month it's my real pleasure to welcome Professor Peter van der Berg. Peter studied bioengineering and obtained his PhD in 2000 at the University of Leuven and currently works at the Laboratory for Enteric Neuroscience and Cell Imaging Core at the Translational Research Centre for GI Disorders at uh, the Catholic University in Leuven. So Peter, many thanks for joining us on the podcast this month and congratulations to you and your co-authors on your paper entitled Fructose Consumption Impairs Serotonergic Signalling in the Murine Enteric Nervous System. So if I could start by asking you what has previously been known about diet and neuronal survival and function. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Um, I think what, what is interesting to uh, realize is that um, whatever we ingest, take in, can actually influence our uh, enteric neurons or the neurons in the, the intestine. So previously, um, people have done studies where they used high-fat diets, where we see that um, some neurons actually disappear uh, after very high content, uh, high-fat diets and, and high-caloric intake. So also a study by Paul Bertrand in 2011 showed that after um, Western diets, high-fat diets, they have increased um, TPH, one expression, more uh, anthrochromosome cells, and decreased uh, serotonin transporters. So there's something known already. Our idea was to really um, do a study about just only um, one molecule and see whether that was actually able to influence enteric nervous system and enteric nervous system function. So how why has fructose in ch- intake changed over the over the recent past? Yeah. Actually in the last century the, the total fructose intake has, has increased from uh, 20 to 100 grams a day, so about 20% of the daily energy intake. And especially with, with the uh, invention or the advent with, uh, whereby high um, fructose corn syrup was um, made or, or uh, the technology that was, uh, was invented to make that high fructose corn syrup, this was used as a sweetener. And it's fairly easy, fairly cheap to uh, produce this from cornstarch. And uh, therefore, uh, in the late, the, I think the technology um, was probably invented in the late 50s, 1950s, and in, in, from the 1950s, 70s onwards, this um, fructose, high corn, uh, high fructose corn syrup was used to sweeten industrial foods. So, especially in soft drinks and in, in many industrial foods, this, this is just added for caloric content, sweetening the, the, the um, beverages and, 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 and foods. So that's why we all eat way more fructose than uh, 100 years ago. That's very interesting. I think it's probably uh, reasonably ubiquitous across uh, Western diets now. So what was the objective of your study? Well, the, as, I, as I told earlier, for, for us, it was uh, we wanted to know whether one single component of these um, diets uh, in, in the regular Western diet um, animal studies, high-fat diet animal studies, people um, feed mice these um, um, high high 
high-fat diets with, with um, a lot of starch and a lot of uh, fat, lard, etc. Et we were interested to know whether specifically the fructose molecule that, that is now uh, in all these soft drinks, whether that one on its own was able to induce these changes already. Problem with these high-fat diets is that the animals uh, have a lot of other changes as well. Obviously, metabolic changes, they gain a lot of weight. Um, they Their fur is incredibly greasy, so they actually do not um, succeed in, in keeping themselves clean. So also in, in the interaction within the mouse colony, it's completely different. In our study, actually, these mice, we feed them um, six weeks of fructose or four weeks of fructose in one case. And we see actually we see hardly any changes in terms of uh, caloric intake. There is no change between the, the control colony and the um, subject colony where uh, energy intake is the same, blood, blood glucose stays the same, body weight evolves in the same way, body weight evolves in the same way. So it's a far more subtle um, dietary intervention, yet uh, we do see effects on um, the neuronal, neuronal activity already. So what methods did you use in your study to um, address your objectives? So obviously to control um, what the um, the mice were um, behavioral things, so obviously we, we, we controlled for total energy intake, we measured blood glucose, body weight, and then we used a number of uh, techniques to see whether there was an increase in permeability because there have been a couple of studies where mice were exposed, or rats, I think it was, were exposed to eight weeks of high fructose and they um, developed steatosis and um, a lot of permeability changes in the intestine. So we wanted to check that first and we found that there were zonocludins 1 and occludin mRNA was reduced in the um, population that was exposed to fructose. However, we were not able to measure any significant changes in, in um, permeability. So we believe that maybe in, maybe this could evolve, but actually our measurements uh, that we done then afterwards were before any major involvement of permeability changes. And most importantly, we used imaging. I, I with my team have developed a number of uh, imaging, fluorescent imaging techniques to monitor um, activity in the myenteric plexus and the plexus in this case. So we peel the intestine of these um, mice of the two populations and we expose the neurons to um, different stimuli and therefore using calcium imaging we can actually assess uh, their activity, whether they respond differently more or less to uh, the known agonists. That's fascinating. So what were your key results to uh, emanate from your study? Well, I think the most important thing is that, as I said, before we see any dramatic metabolic or permeability changes, that this, this little molecule uh, on its own is actually able to change already neuronal function. And that was also derived from some other studies that we've seen from that we um, seen from the central nervous system that suggest that uh, high fructose intake would actually have cognitive um, effects and, and reduce the um, neuronal activity in the central nervous system. Uh, it was seen from bad performances in, in water maze tests of mice fed on, on fructose. So the idea was to see whether indeed in the enteric nervous system we had something similar. And when we exposed the, when we depolarized the neurons, which is just a general uh, tool to see how functional the neurons are, we have already reduced 
responses to uh, blunt depolarization. And when we check them with uh, serotonin being the key molecule that uh, translates intestinal or luminal signals to the nervous to the entire nervous system, we see that also there we have less responses or less numbers of, of neurons respond, although the submucous plexus looks absolutely normal micro-macroscopically. And also the transients that were induced, uh, the calcium transients that were induced by serotonin were uh, a lot lower than in controls. And interestingly, if we feed the mice two weeks of water after the four weeks of fructose, we, re we readily reverse this effect. So it's, it's really a dietary invention, intervention that is, that is subtle, but it shows already that very quickly we can modulate the activity of these neurons in the intestinal wall. That's very interesting. So, so how do you explain the reduced uh, serotonin sensitivity that you saw in the study? Well, that, that, that's actually not completely clear. Um, it can be explained in two ways, or there is, of course, less serotonin, and, uh, and therefore the, the neurons are less capable of responding to whatever um, serotonin would be available. But a little bit more likely is the fact that there is actually an over uh, or an excess of fructose during these weeks that they have been fed uh, fructose. Um, we see from the reduced amounts of serotonin transport that this could be a possibility. So it's possible that there is just uh, more serotonin released from the enterochromophin cells, less taken up because of um, fewer uh, serotonin transport, reuptic uh, transporters. And therefore, the neurons might be baited in serotonin for too long. And maybe that is the reason why if we then apply exogenous serotonin, we have uh, fewer responses. Um, so that, that, that is something that could be further explored in the future, what the molecular nature is of these, um, of these re reduced responses. Uh, absolutely. So what would you regard as the limitations of your study? Well, this is, this is actually one of the limitations personally find is that we, we were not able to uh, find the molecular pathway or the really cellular sequential event. So uh, it's obvious that there is an increase in um, GLUT5, which is the in the intestine, an, an increase in GLUT5, the transporter of fructose. So fructose definitely does something to the intestinal wall. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to pinpoint where exactly that was due to the lack of good antibodies to uh, identify where exactly spatially that, that happened. So that's a bit an, an unfortunate thing that we haven't been able to to do that. And the other thing is that yeah, it's it's um, a study where after the intervention we have to sacrifice the animals. So it takes quite a number of um, animals, and it would have been easier, nicer, better if we would have been able to monitor that in a live way uh, while the animal stays alive. At this moment, not possible with our techniques. But that is, of course, a, a bit of a, a limitation that you need larger populations to see an overall um, effect. And it's very hard to post hoc then try to find what the mole molecular pathway was. Not all the tools are available uh, to, to actually identify that, especially in, this, in the mucosa where imaging is quite challenging because of autofluorescence, etc., etc. Um, this, I mean, I think we have to be clever in the future to invent new ways to uh, work on that particular point. Uh, absolutely. So I appreciate this is a 
uh, a very uh, exploratory question, but what do you feel are the potential translational implications for humans and, and particularly those eating uh, Western diets? Well, it's, it's, for me, it, it's very obvious that um, these Western diets with high fat and uh, are definitely doing much more to your body than only affecting your entire nervous system. But if you once focus now on this nerve function, it's clear that, that even for a very short period, that is uh, in our case four to six weeks of uh, fructose intake, which would resemble drinking a couple of um, um, soda bev beverages uh, every day, a couple of, of, of uh, Cokes and, and, and these uh, sweetened beverages every day, that this already affects neural function. So I think if knowing that, seeing how reversible it is, maybe we can use this kind of knowledge to, for people without severe diseases, but having sometimes some annoying pain, itch or whatever uh, thing that bugs them in a relatively mild way, just by changing the diet during these weeks um, for a while with particular additives or um, that this this would help relieve their 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 problems and not so much the, the solve a disease but that we can easily intervene if we know a little bit more about these uh, sugar or other containing foods and obviously it's it's clear that uh, a very that is best for cellular health to use a varied uh, diet and then I think you keep your neurons and the whole um, mucosa neuronal interaction as flexible as is otherwise you just lose the flexibility for it to react to other uh, substances that you might ingest absolutely I think um, as, as you as you rightly say the the uh, translational um, implications are, are difficult based based on uh, on your animal data but where do you think the knowledge gaps lie currently in the field and, and how do we go about to to resolving these well I think I think it's important to I mean first of all if, if you we want to relate this or translate it to, to, to humans as well is that of, of course our study was done in, in mice and mice obviously don't have um, the same way of feeding they normally not exposed to fructose we can choose to uh, eat or drink fructose whenever we want. So a human study uh, using maybe biopsies, if, if that is um, ethically um, defendable, then that, that might be giving us a hint whether the same um, principles apply there. I don't think it's that difficult to have a couple of volunteers on, on, on a fructose diet or a higher fructose diet and see whether as you probably know, we also can do these uh, imaging in some mucus plexus in, in uh, biopsies from duodenum or small intestine. We can measure activity of human neurons there. So it would be good to test whether that is indeed the case also in humans fed um, with high fructose um, beverages or, or food. That is one thing. And on the other hand, in, in terms of mouse work, I think it's very interesting to try and find out whether it is a specific cellular metabolic effect whether the cells actually get some sort of get a bit lazy in, in in that they have a lot of energy in excess so they don't need to um, be really sharp to uh, maintain normal cellular function so they get a bit lazy or whether it is instead of just one single cell or whether it's a circuit so I think we have to be clever in 
designing methodology to find whether the specific nutrients, fructose in this case, whether they activate a specific pattern, a specific circuitry within the intestine that then as a whole might be influenced by uh, dietary interventions. So with that, I'd like to thank you and your co-authors for a really excellent uh, paper and also assisting in this month's uh, podcast. And I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. I look forward to welcoming you next month for another instalment. Further information about this paper can be found on the journal website.